Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our review series examines books, movies, music, and other media in the light of God's truth. We pray that it will be eye-opening, instructional, and beneficial for your daily walk with Christ. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. Uh, Pastor Rob Sowers here with you today, and I've got Pastor Nathaniel Mayhew with me. And well, if it's the two of us together, it's probably a hymn study, and that's exactly what we have. A hymn study today on the Lenten hymn, Deep Were His Wounds. You'll find that uh, in the worship supplement on page 722 there, or uh, in Christian worship, uh, page 107. Um, maybe we'll talk about why I like the layout of the worship supplement one a little bit better. Daniel, how are you today? Very good. Looking forward to uh, doing another hymn study with you, Rob. Absolutely. I um, certainly enjoy doing this and been a little while since we have, so it's good to do. And since our uh, favorite season of the, of the year is Lent, we get an opportunity to do a Lenten hymn, which is uh, always a wonderful thing. Deep Were His Wounds. I'm familiar with this hymn, but I don't know that I've ever sung it for a service. The tune is a little bit of a, it's a minor key tune, but really a nice hymn. And I think the music fits well with it. We'll talk about this a little bit later on. But uh, first of all, just to kind of mention a little bit, and we really do only have a little bit of information on uh, the, the writer of this hymn, William Johnson. Uh, actually, he's kind of a modern hymn writer, uh, born in, well, lived his whole life in the 20th century. Um, just a couple of comments on Bill Johnson. Like you said, we don't know a whole lot about him. He was born in Minnesota, uh, not yeah. too far from uh, you and me, uh, was born 1906, died in 1991. So as you pointed out, a very modern hymn writer. The musical composition that you commented on the tune, Marley yeah. is the title of it. That also is a modern tune written by a modern composer. Uh, so both of these are very, very new. And as you pointed out, Rob, this is not a very familiar hymn. It's not in a lot of Lutheran hymnals. It is in our worship supplement. It is not in the new Missouri Synod hymnal, but it is found in one of their supplements. It is in Christian worship. And I think that might be one of the reasons why it is a little bit less familiar. But the melody is just beautiful. You said that it fits so nicely with the words of this hymn. And we'll take a look at that and we'll get a chance to hear it later on. And it's the words of the hymn that are particularly beautiful. And you and I are a lot of like, my favorite hymns in all of the hymnal are in the Lenten section. It, right. They bring out what Christianity is all about and what it cost. And this hymn is going to do that very thing. So just kind of thinking about the hymn in general, then I mentioned the layout as you see it in the worship supplement and how it lays it out. Um, Christian worship doesn't do this so much. Um, it, it, the words are all the same and, and whatever, but um, in the worship supplement, it looks just by appearance that the first two lines, the words are a little bit more squished together. And then the last two lines are, you know, more spread out. The words are anyway. Um, and you might think, well, why do they do it that way? Christian worship doesn't do it that way. There's a very, specific reason for the way that it's laid out in the supplement, though, um, because of how the words 
go in all three stanzas of the hymn. So you want to just talk about that in general, and that'll give us kind of a general idea in what we're going to be looking at in this hymn. Sure. And I think that is one of the most important features of this particular hymn. So if you're if you're actually looking at this in the hymnal, you might notice that the meter is six, 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 eight, eight. And right. so what Rob is talking about is that you squeeze in the first two, six, six in the first line, six, six in the second line, and then you spread out eight and then eight in the final two lines, each different. And and here's the key word in this whole thing, Rob. It's the first word in the third line in every single one of the verses, but. Right. Yeah. And, and we know that in English, the word but is, it's a transitional word, isn't it? And we're making a comparison. And that's exactly what Johnson is doing in this hymn. He lays out what we see, the cost, the cost that God paid in those first two lines, the 6666, but, and it doesn't look good when we see the cost. And a lot of times we say, was it worth it? Was it worth right. it to pay that much for this? And what, what he's going to do is he's going to say, yes, it was worth it because this is the result of the cost that, that God paid through the death of his son. So beautiful, beautiful. And it is helpful to understand this, this contrast that the hymn writer brings out. And as you pointed out in worship supplement, it does a nice job visually laying out that contrast a little bit more, uh, more obviously. Right, right. And, and just speaking to the tune as well. Now, it stays in a minor key throughout, but when you get to that third line, when you start singing, but this, there is just that little hint of resolution, which I just love that. In any good Lenten hymn, you know, it stays with sort of that somber tone to it, and yet you can still hear that little bit of resolution um, in this case, you hear that little bit of resolution as you hear the benefits of this. Of course, with any of the Lenten hymns, as you hear that resolution, you look forward to the fact that that you know Good Friday isn't the end of the story, that Easter Sunday is coming. And so you really see that well in the tune and, of course, in the words of this hymn. Um, talking just about the scriptural basis then of this hymn, uh, if, if you're kind of studying this along with us, uh, you would see pretty clearly, I think, that it's, that it's based pretty heavily on Isaiah 53. Some other verses too, but primarily Isaiah 53 seems to be in view, which of course takes us to, you know, what it costs the Savior and really the benefit that all of that has for us as well. Yeah, for those that are familiar with Isaiah 53, that's probably one of the most familiar Old Testament readings dealing with the crucifixion, the prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus and the cost that God willingly paid in order to set us free. And we will, we'll have a number, verse seven in particular, but there's a number of other verses, verses four and five, we will see kind of, kind of being brought out in, in that as well. So we'll take a look at, at Isaiah 53, as well as a couple of other verses too that uh, Johnson indicates or references in this hymn. Right. Okay, well, let's go into stanza number one then. Deep were his wounds and red on cruel Calvary as on the cross he bled in bitter agony. But they, whom sin has wounded sore, find healing in the wounds he bore. So, Nathaniel, take us into stanza number one. 
Well, we had talked about the contrast, the, the but in the middle of this. And, and here's what I'd like you to focus on in this first verse. Look at the first line. Deep were his wounds and red. Well, now, in the hymn, if you're looking at it, the word his is capitalized. So we, we realize that if we're familiar with the New King James Version, a few other Bible translations, that those capitalized pronouns are referring to God, and in this case, Jesus. So Jesus is the one whose wounds are red. Now, go to the last line, just really quickly. In the last line, we have find healing in the wounds he bore. We have that same word used. So there's this yeah. contrast. The first two lines have the price that God paid. Deep were his wounds and red on cruel Calvary. It, it takes us to the, to the crucifixion of Jesus, to that Mount of Calvary. As on the cross, he bled in bitter agony. What was the cost? It was painful. Jesus endured all of this. And we look at the cross and we see Jesus suffering and dying there. We see the agony that he's going through in the cross. And we say, why? Why? There were people that were wondering, why would this happen to Jesus? He was innocent. And the hymn writer tells us, yes, yes. But God was willing to pay that price so that they whom sin has wounded sore might find healing in the wounds he bore. And I think that the scriptural reference here, Rob, is found in those familiar verses. Again, first Peter refers to Isaiah 53. Right. And in first Peter chapter uh, two, Peter writes, he who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus, he suffered all of those things in our place. He endured the wounds. He, and he allowed those things to take place in his own body so that we, through his stripes, there's the, pref the reference to Isaiah 53, by whose stripes you are healed. What Jesus endured has given us a great blessing, the healing from our sins. And it is such an amazing thing because, yeah, the whole reason he was wounded was because of our wounds, because we had that sin. He, of course, was holy and perfect and, and, and righteous and no need to have any wounds at all. And so that, of course, is the, the, the wonder of, you know, the incarnation. It's the wonder of, you know, what he came to do. He became flesh so that he could be wounded to wash away our wounds. It's, it's simply an amazing thing to, to ponder. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the mercy and grace of God, which we're going to get into in the next couple of verses, are, are yeah. certainly on display in, in vivid fashion here in this hymn. All right, so let's go into stanza two then. He suffered shame and scorn and wretched dire disgrace. Forsaken and forlorn, he hung there in our place. But all who would from sin be free, look to his cross for victory. Boy, that really is something, looking to the cross for victory. We're so used to that. But to think of the cross as a sign of victory, 
is would have been counterintuitive to people in Jesus' time. Well, and remember what Jesus said. The, the passage that comes to my mind as I read through this verse, Rob, is John 3.16. Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And remember, in the context of John 3.16, Jesus sitting there and talking with Nicodemus takes Nicodemus back to the Old Testament account in the book of Numbers of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And if you remember that account from Numbers, here were these, these snakes that had come into the camp, and when they would bite the people, they would die. And so God, after leading them to repentance, he tells Moses, I want you to fashion a bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a pole, and whoever looks at that serpent will be healed. Jesus ties that Bible story to who he is, what he has come to do. And so you're right, that last line all those who would from sin be free, just like in Numbers, look to his cross for victory. That is where we find the healing, like we talked about in the first verse, but a healing not from the bite of a poisonous serpent, but the bite of a deadly serpent, the serpent in the garden who brought sin and death into the world, there is the one who came to crush the head of the serpent through his death on the cross. And what did he have to do in order to do it? Johnson tells us he had to suffer shame, scorn, disgrace, dire disgrace, forsaken and forlorn, he hung there in our place. And that, the opening two lines of the second verse, they picture so beautifully for us what exactly was going on as the gospel writers record it, when Jesus was there on the cross, the people, the bystanders who were walking by and hurling ridicule at Jesus, the chief priests and the scribes, the soldiers, even the other individuals that were hung next to him were hurling insults at Jesus. The disgrace that he bore, forsaken by his own disciples who had abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane, forsaken even by his father, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did Jesus endure all of that? So that, Rob, you and I might have the victory over sin as he crushes the head of the serpent in your place and mine. Yeah, it's so beautiful how he brings out there, you know, the full suffering of the cross, right? The physical suffering, the, the, the shame from the people around him, but then also gets to... You know, really, the the worst suffering, that forsakenness, not just by his disciples, but again, by uh, the Father uh, Himself. Because what did He do? He became sin there on the cross. He became that object of disgrace, so that we would be set free from sin, as uh, the third line says, "All who would from sin be free." And you know, that's what we get. He becomes sin. We get righteousness. That great exchange. Um, what a wonderful uh, blessing that is to us that uh, we get all of those benefits from what he did on the cross. And that's why, you know, instead of the cross being this emblem of suffering and pain and torture, it's something that we as Christians wear. Um, you know, I wear a cross on Sundays. Um, we have crosses all over our church. Um, people wear them as jewelry and things like that. Well, why? Because it's not that sign of torture anymore. It's that sign of victory because of what Christ did there for us. Well, I think it's, 
your point there, Rob, is really important because I think there's a tendency during the season of Lent to think only of the physical suffering that Jesus endured. And, right. and it was gruesome. We do not want to deny the fact that it was gruesome and it was painful and it was agonizing what Jesus, everything that Jesus endured. But if that is all that we see through the season of Lent, then we're missing the greatest part of what Jesus endured for us. And I love the fact that you referenced the first Corinthians passage. Jesus became sin for us that we might right. become the righteousness of God in him. And how did he do that? He endured the curse of sin, the forsakenness of his father, which we endured, which, which we deserved. He did that for us. And that's, that's the agony that we should be focused on and which our, our Lutheran hymnody does such a wonderful job of pointing us to, not just the physical suffering, but the spiritual in suffering that he endured on our behalf. Right, because, you know, Jesus isn't the first person ever to be crucified, right? And I mean, okay, his crucifixion was was incredibly harsh physically, more so than the normal thing, right? But people have been tortured in the past too, and people have suffered physically. So it's not just that nobody has ever been forsaken by the Father like Jesus has been. Um and that's the real suffering that we see there. The physical suffering obviously points to that, but that's really what it does. It points to that deeper spiritual suffering as he becomes sin for us so that we could be set free. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, our final stanza then, stanza three. His life, his all he gave when he was crucified. Our burden souls to save what fearful death he died. But each of us, though dead in sin, through him eternal life may win. Stanza three. This verse reminds us of the creed and what we confess in the creed that Jesus suffered and died. His life, his all he gave, everything that everything that Jesus was about. His entire life was focused on one thing, accomplishing salvation for mankind. His life, his all he gave when he was crucified. Again, going back to the gospels, Jesus cries out in victory. He talks about everything that he has given up, but he says, it is finished. Jesus accomplished that work and he did that through his perfect life and then through the suffering that he endured, the very suffering of hell endured for us through his crucifixion. And the second line of the third verse starts to lead us to that purpose. He says, what our burdened souls to save what fearful death he died. Mm -hmm. That's that's the message of, of, of scripture. You know, you think about Ephesians 2. We're familiar with verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved. But if we back up just a little bit, the hymn writer here talks about the, the sin, the burden that we feel, the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And Paul there says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And that's what Johnson is leading into, our burdened souls to save. But each of us, each of us, though dead in sin, through him eternal life to win. There's that contrast, that paradox, death to life. Just like you mentioned in that Second Corinthians passage, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that great exchange that Paul brings out in Second Corinthians chapter 5, where does he get that? From Isaiah 53. Right. Jesus was stricken, smitten for us. He, the chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. That great exchange. And we see that back and forth in this hymn, don't we? Jesus, us. Jesus, us. Jesus, us. So as you read through Isaiah 53 verses four, five, six, and seven, and you see that back and forth, the great exchange between God and man, between Christ and the sinner, Johnson does a beautiful, masterful job of illustrating that back and forth in this hymn that we see brought out in Isaiah 53. How could you not marvel when you look at this hymn at the fact that Jesus gets all these bad things and we get good things. And that's what it is over and over again. But I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. That's the reason he came was so that we could have life. You know, you think of the last two lines of the stanza and it makes you think of Romans 6, 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin. Notice not in sin anymore, but now we're dead to sin and alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Uh, and that's what he has done because as stanza two says, uh, we've been set free from sin. Now we're no longer dead in sin where we have that status of being dead to sin. And now eternal life is ours. And I mean, that's, that's the greatest benefit of all. Would have been impossible for us when we were dead in sin because we were just that, dead. Um, but now we're alive in Christ and we get all of the benefits of his suffering, his pain, his, you know, everything that, that he endured. It was all for us, all for our benefit, never for his. Um, Again, holy and perfect from eternity, what need did he have to do any of this only out of his great love for us? I'd like to read through those verses from Isaiah 53 because I think, again, this hymn does such a wonderful job of illustrating the prophecy that Isaiah makes of the Savior in that chapter. And these are familiar verses. We hear these quite often during Lent as well. But Isaiah writes, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But, there's that word but, just like in the hymn, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And then he goes on, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. 
Jesus did all of that, which you were just talking about, Rob. He did it willingly. He did it knowing the cost, but also knowing the result. And he told his disciples that. He said, should I not? Should I not do what the Father has laid out for me to do? If, if I don't, how then can the scriptures, this scripture, Isaiah 53, how then will it be fulfilled that it must happen this way? This is the solution to the problem of sin. And if I don't go through this suffering, then we, Rob, we're stuck in our sin. We have yep. no savior and we are guilty before God. So thanks be to God that Jesus did come and endure the suffering, the dire disgrace, that he endured death and gave his life and his all for us that we might from sin be free. Yeah, what beautiful thoughts from, from Isaiah chapter 53 and um, from this hymn, which which parallels those thoughts so well. Why don't we go ahead and listen to the hymn now then? We'll listen to the three stanzas of the hymn and then uh, I'll get your final thoughts. Final thoughts on the hymn then? Well, once again, it's a Lent hymn. So it's beautiful. Right. Of course. <laughs> and, and again, the, my favorite thing about this is it points us to what Christianity is all about. It, it points to the need that we have as sinners and the solution for it, which is found only one place, Rob, only one place 
And that's at the cross of Calvary where Jesus lived and died for us. If you take that out, you remove Jesus and the cross, you've got nothing. Well, you, you've got sin that still needs right. to be redeemed. And that's not a good thing for us as sinners. If we understand our sin, this is what we, every sinner needs. And this hymn takes us so nicely to that great exchange that we have seen, what God has willingly sacrificed for us, that we might be his adopted children for eternity. Uh, but it was a great cost that he gave in order to accomplish that victory for sinners. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, thank you, Nathaniel, for taking us through this hymn, and uh, thank you all for listening out there today. Uh, we pray that uh, the Lord would uh, continue to bless you throughout this Lenten season as uh, we take that journey to the cross to see exactly what our Savior was willing to do for us, how God demonstrates his love for us in what Jesus did in his death, and then in that glorious resurrection, which we look forward to celebrating on Easter. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, Check back often for uh, more podcasts like these on uh, Burden and Blessing, and we will see you next time. Lord, keep you until then. We invite you to join us every week for another episode of Burden and Blessing podcast, where we will continue to proclaim Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior for sinners. Until next week, take comfort in the fact that God is your rock and ever-present help in trouble.